You're listening to Radio Activism, a production of the Radio Cafe. I'm your host, Mary Charlotte. What do you do when the voters in a city vote for something and then the city decides not to put it into place? That's what we're looking at today, right here where I live, Santa Fe, New Mexico. It all has to do with the way we vote, and I'm going to leave it to our guests to tell you more about what's going on here. I will say that in doing background research, I learned more about a national organization that has many state chapters. It's called Fair Vote, and you'll be hearing more about them on this program in the future. They do very interesting work that has to do with making voting systems more democratic and representative of the voters. That's all I'm going to say by way of introduction. Let's go now to our guests. I'm very happy now to welcome to the program Maria Perez. She's with Fair Vote New Mexico and Teresa Leger de Fernandez. She's an attorney with Leger Law and Strategy. Welcome. Hello, Mary Charlotte. Thanks for having us. Hi. Great to have you both. We are here today talking about something called ranked choice voting. Now, in 2008, ladies and gentlemen, Santa Feans voted in favor of a number of changes to our city charter. One of them was ranked choice voting. There were a number of other changes. People voted for each one individually. Ranked choice voting won in every district in Santa Fe. Is that right? That's correct. And so it still hasn't been implemented. That's what we're here to talk about. But first of all, what is ranked choice voting? Ranked choice voting is a simple but important change that we can make to the way that we elect our officials so that nobody gets elected without a majority of the vote. That's the basic premise of it. The way that it works is that voters get to rank the candidates in order of preference. So you get to say, I like Mickey Mouse the best. After that, I like Donald Duck. And after that, I like Speedy Gonzalez. And then when everybody votes, when the ballots close, everybody's first choice gets counted. If somebody wins the majority of the vote, then that's it. And that person wins like they would in any other election. But if there isn't a candidate that wins the majority of the vote, then the candidate with the least number of votes gets eliminated. And those voters' second choice candidate becomes their first choice. And the vote gets counted again until some candidate gets a majority. So basically... I might say, let's say there's four candidates. There's Mickey Mouse, Donald Duck, Speedy Gonzalez, and Mussolini. <laughs> and I don't like Mussolini, I want to, but I like the others and I rank them in order of one, two, three. Can I leave number four blank? You can. Okay. So there are cases where somebody says, well, I like these two candidates. I can't decide between them. So I rank one of the number one and one of the number two and I leave the rest blank, then what happens? You can just vote for one candidate if you want. You're not okay. required to rank the candidates. It is encouraged for people to rank their candidates because then your vote never gets lost or never gets wasted. If you vote for a candidate that is going to lose, if you rank your second and third choices and so forth, then the fact that your first choice was a losing candidate doesn't mean that your vote goes away. Then your vote then turns into your second choice. So your second choice does have some weight, does carry some weight. This is also called instant runoff. Does that mean that when you, like you have a vote and people rank their choices one through three or four or whatever, that you don't have to have, like if you don't have a clear, somebody winning a clear majority, you don't have to have another election? 
That's correct for jurisdictions that do have a runoff, which Santa Fe, we don't have a runoff here. But in a case, for example, in Albuquerque, they do have a runoff system. So if there is uh, a race, like the race that they're going to have in a couple months in, in Albuquerque, where there's many, many candidates for mayor, nobody is likely to get the majority of the vote. So they're likely to go to a runoff. And the problem with that is that runoff elections usually have a lower turnout, mm. very low turnout. Like, you know, in a place like Albuquerque, I think it's about 16% of the vote or something like that of the registered voters for the runoff. And the other problem with that is that it's extremely expensive for a city to run a second election, right? right. It costs just as much as running the first election, except that you're doing it for a much lower number of voters that are going to show up. And it's also very expensive for candidates to run that, that, that second campaign. Indeed. Right. Mm -hmm. Very interesting. So in this instance, what Santa Fe has available to it is this instant runoff. It is already in the machines that we will be using in 2018. And those machines are capable of, they'll run the first round and see if anybody got a majority vote. And then they can automatically, because they're programmed to automatically drop out the low candidate and run it again so that the timing doesn't take, it actually adds very little time to when you'd be able to see your results because it happens automatically. Other jurisdictions have had to do it manually or other ways in which they call a workaround. It's like, okay, let's put it on an Excel spreadsheet or whatever. Right. In this instance, it is sitting in the voting machines we will be using in 2018 you turn it on, you flip the switch, and the computer can do all the counting. You will also, because in New Mexico we do have the paper backup, you will also then have the paper backup to verify that the instant one-off actually was accurate. So in my ballot, I would literally write the numbers one, two, three on the paper? Your ballot would be sort of like the SAT exam or one of those like school standardized oh, multiple exams choice. where you have a little bubble, right? Yeah. So like your number one choice, you fill that bubble. Your number two choice, you fill that bubble and so forth. Now, is it possible for somebody to win who was everybody's second choice, but not so many people's first choice? Yes, actually. In the conversations we've been having about this, somebody shared with me an example of one of their friends who was not the first choice, but he had spoken to enough of the electorate that they all said, well, I really like this candidate. He might not be my first choice, but he's my second choice. And he won in a major, one of Texas's major cities. And that's an example of how what you want is candidates that are going to speak to a wide you know, array of the voters. So they're not limited to saying, I'm just going to go for my base. They say, I need to speak to more people. So that somebody might have, oh, we really like this guy, but he just doesn't have enough or she doesn't have uh, enough support across a wide segment. They can come in stronger, but if they haven't spoken to those outside of maybe their base, then they might not win in the instant runoff. So this is interesting because we're talking about something which is not only a technical fix that would save the money from doing a whole runoff or a fix that would deal with the fact that maybe nobody got a majority. We're actually, if I get this right, talking about a situation where you have different kinds of campaigns or maybe even different kinds of candidates. That's absolutely right. You know, what I really love about ranked choice voting is that it addresses some of the issues that we're dealing with on a you know local to state to federal level 
that have to do with extreme partisanship and divisive campaigns and uh, really negative campaigning. I feel that ranch choice voting really is a democracy building tool that we really should step up to and start utilizing here locally. Issues like what you mentioned, the fact that candidates need to run different types of campaigns. Candidates can't just appeal to their base and antagonize their opponents. That's just not going to work for a ranked choice voting election because you need to make sure that even if you're not going to be somebody's first choice candidate, you still need to go out there, knock on those doors, talk to people about why you would be happy to have their second choice. Right because you and their favorite candidate maybe agree on this thing or this other thing, or maybe you and their favorite candidate can work together on some issues. So candidates who run negative campaigns don't do well in ranked choice voting elections. And that's really a relief for the electorate, for the people who are voting for these people. So this makes a very interesting situation. So everybody has to run a a more positive campaign because they're trying to get the second, you know, even if they're not getting the first choice, they're going to be everybody's, you know, somebody's second choice, more people's second choice. Does that lead to more discussions of actual policy and turn it away from personalities? Absolutely. It really encourages, incentivizes candidates to talk about the issues and it incentivizes them to start thinking about ways to work in coalition with each other and with different groups as opposed to just always working in opposition to each other about the issues. And it does bring policy to the conversation as opposed to just personalities, like you said. Where are they already doing this? So... Internationally, this is done in many places. You know, India elects their prime ministers uh, using this system. It's used in New Zealand. It's used in a number of places. In the United States, there's about a dozen cities that are currently using this system, including San Francisco, Oakland, Berkeley, San Leandro in California. Cambridge, Massachusetts has been using it for decades. North Carolina used it. They're not using it anymore, but they used it uh, statewide for a while. Minneapolis and St. Paul are using it right now. There's a number of places. And there's many places who are also looking at this and advocating for this to pass and to be implemented. Now, let me ask you this. The, some of the, A lot of the places that you mention are kind of like more progressive communities. Does this tend to lead to the election of more progressive candidates? Not necessarily. And I'll give you an example. The, the state of Utah, there's there's a lot of interest in Utah from a strongly Republican set of candidates who are interested in doing this for their elections. And, you know, what really happens is that ranked choice voting promotes better representation. So if you're coming from a red state, then you're going to be better represented as a red voter with ranked choice voting. If you're in a blue state, you're going to be better represented as a blue candidate. And if you're in a purple state, then it becomes more proportional. But it's also very useful in an election like here in Santa Fe, since we're talking about implementing it here, where we're not, it's not for races that are, are Democrat, they're nonpartisan. So when we are electing our city councilors or our mayor, we are electing them based on supposedly their ideas and their policies. And so it works really well in these kinds of elections, like what we have coming up here in Santa Fe. Now, in Santa Fe, there are some districts for city council. Like, it it makes sense with the mayor because we always usually have more than two candidates for mayor, sometimes three, four, or more. But for city council, sometimes we have one. Often we have two. 
sometimes there's three or more. How does it work for city council districts? Exactly the same. And I would point out that sometimes you might have four or more candidates. We did have that instance with Rene Villarreal, who went and won in District 1, where there were four candidates. In that instance, she spent the time, and as I understand, knocked on a lot of doors, and she got about 64% of the vote. Ranked choice voting didn't need to get triggered. But if you're in another district, and you're still going to vote for your council members in your district. And if there are more than two, then ranked choice voting will get triggered. And so that is where we'll see it. It will also apply. The charter requires that it also apply to the judge, the municipal judge in Santa Fe. Okay. So, yeah, if there's just one or two candidates, then the ballot would look the same as it always has. If there's three or more candidates, then you get to rank the candidates in, in order of preference. So now to the central question. Santa Fe voted for this. The voters voted for it in 2008. That's almost a decade ago. Why haven't we had it? The way the language of the Charter Amendment is worded it says that Santa Fe shall have ranked choice voting elections as soon as adequate voting equipment is available at a reasonable price. And that hasn't really been the case until now. But now the voting equipment is available and it's actually free for the city. So there is just no reason for the city to choose not to do this at this point. So Teresa, speak to that. If the language is that when the equipment and everything is available at a good price, we'll have it, do they have to have it? We recently, last Wednesday, we filed a writ of petition of mandamus with the Supreme Court because, yes, we believe that it is mandatory, that once those two conditions are met, which is the software is available at a reasonable price, that the city cannot make a decision and say, well, we might not want to do it, which is actually what they did. So there has been arguments about whether or not the software has been available and whether or not it's been reasonable over the years. But what happened is the Secretary of State took the initiative to talk to the vendor of our election machines that we use. In Those optical scan paper ballots. Mm -hmm. So the Secretary of State does the contract, purchases the machines, and enters into a contract with the Dominion. Their name is Dominion. And they're the ones who provide the software to be able to read the ballots. She also said, oh, Santa Fe has a requirement for ranked choice voting. Dominion, we know that that is something you offer because you do it in Berkeley and San Francisco and Oakland, and we know that you do that. Will you make sure it's in the software that you provide to New Mexico? And they said, sure. Dominion had spent years trying to show it to the city of Santa Fe. City of Santa Fe, for whatever reason, had not actually contracted with Dominion. Secretary of State said, we can get it for free. So they required, Secretary of State said, put it in the software, and it's in the software. So that's the great thing, is it's now available, it's going to actually be on the machines we use. The question is whether the module gets turned on or not. So in June, in both June 2017 and July 2017, the city council said they passed a motion that said we will not use ranked choice voting this year. Why? They are, I think there's a lot of change is hard. Right. I'm going to put it up to change is hard. They don't know exactly what it's going to look like. They're worried about, is there enough time to do education? I don't want to kind of get into the why. There is pages and pages of testimony that happened at the July meeting where many people got up and said, this is why we think it's important. Many of the things that Maria has said 
people got up and said, we think it's better. We think it's going to lead to more participation. We had grassroots organizations saying, we think more people will come out to vote. But for whatever reason each individual council member had, they voted on a 6-3 basis no. So once the city council said, we're not going to do that, there were different petitioners, and Fair Vote took the lead, but we have five different petitioners who said, this isn't right. It's our right. It's the law. We want it to happen. Well, we voted for it. We voted for it. The charter, a charter is like the constitution of the city. It is the highest law of the city. And the city council chose on a 6-3 to three vote to ignore that. So that's why we're before the Supreme Court. I will say it was a 6-3 vote. The mayor and council member Rene Villarreal and council member Joe Maestas voted in favor of using ranked choice voting. And then the other councillors? The other six councillors voted against it in three different votes. They had three different chances to vote in favor of it. And each time they either voted the motion is actually, we will not use ranked choice voting in 2018, even though it's free and on the machines. And the law. And the law. Okay, so people's objections being change is hard. I mean, okay, are there any other reasons? Are there political reasons? Are there people who think the outcomes will be different? That kind of thing? That's where we don't really want to spend time speculating because that's not really what we're trying to do. What we're saying is, Elections matter, and the election that happened in 2008, which said we want ranked choice voting, that that needs to be followed because it's the law, and that it should be done now because the next election also matters, and every election has consequences. We know that, right? Every election has consequences. We see that on a national level, that election had significant consequences. But every election, even at the local level, has consequences. So we think it should be done now. There's no reason for waiting to 2020. What are the disadvantages to this? Uh, the only one that I can think of is people aren't used to it, so they might not quite understand their ballot if there hasn't been a serious voter education campaign. And even if there is, not everybody benefits from that voter education. So that's a common misconception about ranked choice voting, that it's difficult for people to understand. The cities who use this, there have been exit polls done for voters who, who use this. There's been studies, there's been focus groups to get into that idea that this is difficult for voters. And what's come up of all this is that it's not difficult for voters. Voters like it. They prefer it to the old method of voting in their different jurisdictions. They find it easy to understand. One of our petitioners, Ann Nas, has... Um, this wonderful line in her affidavit that she says, I have that right now, and it's just marvelous. She says, oh, I've heard the city is worried about not having enough time to do voter education, whether the Aldean and other groups will find it difficult to understand. So this is her quote. I am 82 years old, and it is astonishing to me that the city officials think we elders can't understand it. It's really not that difficult. Anyone who can count to 10 can understand it. <laughs> and she was marvelous. She said, you count. My first choice, my second choice, my third choice. The machine allows you up to 10 rankings. And we've never had more than five candidates in our city elections. So doubling the number, the machine can handle up to 10. But that is an argument that opponents to this system put forth. It just has not been backed up by data or, or any sort of study. People like it. People understand it. It's easy. But not only that, we are six months out from the election. The other studies have found that voters tend to start focusing on things not six months out, but 
several weeks out or maybe a couple of months out. So within six months, that's plenty of time to prepare an education plan. They should have been thinking about this when it passed in 2008 or 2010 or 2012. But despite that, there is enough time now. And there are also community organizations like Fair Vote, several organizations that are supportive of this lawsuit that say, we're going to go out and work and make sure that people are educated on this because we think it's a way to get people interested in participating in elections. That's really the goal here. Don't we want more participation rather than less? And this is going to be a new thing. We think it's going to be an exciting thing that will get more people to the polls. And these organizations are ready and willing to step up to the plate and assist in the voter education. And in, in jurisdictions that have done this, they're happy to share their best practices in terms of what has worked with voter education and getting people to the polls and understanding the ballots and whatnot. In cities like uh, like Minneapolis, like San Francisco, like Oakland, the way that it's worked really well there is that there has been a coordinated effort between the city voter education plan and the community group sort of nonprofit grassroots voter education plan. For example, Minneapolis, uh, when they implemented this, the city did a couple of things. One of the main, most important things they did is that they sent a sample ballot in a mailer with a utility bill to every household. Right? Oh, that's such a great idea. The city did that. They did a couple other things. And then the community groups did all the door knocking. They did community presentations about it. They ran mock elections with different groups of people. They really engaged in a grassroots community organizing effort to really reach the voters. So working in coordination with the city and the in the community groups is really the best practice to get this voter education out. And as Teresa mentioned, studies have shown that it's those 30 days before the election that are really key to getting people to pay attention and then to retain the information. So there's a lot that can be done between now and Christmas to prepare and then the push for voter education really to get out there and, and knock on doors and hit those phone banks and all that would happen January and February for the most part. And that coincides with the time when the candidates themselves are knocking on doors. And I mean, probably most of us and many of our listeners have had their doors knocked on and have had conversations with either candidates or their representatives. And you really kind of do get a sense of who you feel would best represent you and you can sort of rank that choice. And candidates ideally would be knocking on doors and saying, I am so-and-so, I'm running for your district. These are my main issues that I care about. Can I count on your vote? And if people say, well, I actually like your opponent better, then the candidate would say, well, we're having a ranked choice voting election. Are you aware of what that is? And the candidates themselves can provide a little bit of education to the voters and then ask for that second choice vote. Yeah. And the candidates don't actually declare the candidacy until December 5th. So there is time. Uh, What we did was we filed our petition with the Supreme Court, you know, as soon as we could put it together after the city council voted no. The Supreme Court of the state of New Mexico. The Supreme Court of the state of New Mexico. And, you know, usually you have to go to the district court. You have to start down below and work your way up to the Supreme Court. But we argued to the Supreme Court, listen, this is an issue of utmost public policy. There is nothing more important in our democracy than voting. And we said, and so we want you to take it up right away. We were fortunate. We don't know what the Supreme Court will do, but last Friday, the Supreme Court, two days after getting the petition, they ordered the city to provide a response by September 15th. So we're hoping that the Supreme Court will hear this 
and issue an order by the end of September. And we think that's enough time, if they issue that order, that there'll be enough time to do all the other work. And so if they issue that order, then we have ranked choice voting, period. Yes. All right. The Supreme Court, that's the great thing. We live in this marvelous democracy that has three branches of government. And so if you believe, which we do, is that one side of the government, in this instance, our city council, is not following the law, you can go to the court and say, hey, court, we don't think they're doing what they should be doing. And the court can, can intervene and look at the matter and make a decision. Teresa Leger de Fernandez is an attorney with Leger Law and Strategy. Maria Perez is with Fair Vote New Mexico. Ranked choice voting, ladies and gentlemen, if you want to find out more about it, you can go to fairvote.org. That is a national organization. You can also put Fair Vote New Mexico in your search engine and find the New Mexico branch on your computer. Anything else you want to let people know about before we go? Well, we hope that this happens and that people show up and vote next March 8, 2018 and thereafter. What I would like to add is that for me doing this work, trying to work with the city to have them agree that it's time to implement this, working with community groups to get support, I've just seen such a great response from people. People are interested in this. People want to learn more about it. The community groups are beginning to step up to the plate. They want to be involved. They want to help this effort. Their members, their constituents are learning about it. Just having our five petitioners, just a really diverse group of people who came together without knowing each other, who they just all care about this issue. It's been really amazing for me to do this work and see that, you know, even though this is not a really emotional issue, it's a policy issue, people really care about democracy and people really want to be engaged. People are feeling like their vote doesn't count, like, like why should they even go and vote? People are feeling disheartened about just politics in general and our, and our, like I said, divisive and hyper-partisan politics. And people want a solution, and this is a good step in the right direction. And I see that folks that I'm talking to recognize that, and they want to see this happen at the local level. I believe that change starts at the local level, and this is something that we can do here right now. It's already the law, and we can set an example of what a jurisdiction can do to engage the voters, to build our democratic processes, and to make civic engagement something that people want to be engaged with. Maria and Teresa, thank you so much for being with us. Thank you. Thank you, Mary Charlotte. You've been listening to Radio Activism, a production of the Radio Cafe. I'm your host, Mary Charlotte. Fair Vote is on the web at fairvote.org. And you can find out what's going on in all the different states at that site as well. If you have any comments, questions, or ideas, please contact me through radiocafe.org. You can also find us at facebook.com slash radiocafe, and we're on Twitter at radiocafemc. Please follow us and like us and all that good stuff. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.